This hour on Flames Talk. It is Thursday, October 19th. With Logan Gordon, my name is Pat Steinberg, and welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com. Will this be your first time doing this, Logo? It will be. Logo's a first-time Flames Talk mailbag. You know, I didn't even look at the text line, and that... Some good, uh, some good texts already Look on our Flames Talk mailbag. Welcome to the Sports Drive. Text line is open if you're listening live with us. 960, 960. And we're just going to, uh, we're just going to take your questions for the next 25, 30 minutes or so. And uh, we, we'd like to do this once every couple of weeks, especially in the season. Flames Talk mailbag. If you want to put your name on it, we'll put your name to the text. If you don't, that's fine too. Whatever you want to talk about. One of the only free-form segments we do on Flames Talk. So, Jonathan Huberdeau, Andrew Manchapani, Jacob Markstrom, Elias Lindholm's contract, Noah Hannafin's contract, whatever. It's all up for grabs. You ready to dive in? Let's do it. I um, like experiencing firsts with you. So, this is a, a first that we're going to do together. I like it. We will always remember this. Of course. I always remember your first. Uh, Tony starts us off. Sorry, what? Uh, Tony says. Oh, Tony, yeah. Tony, what's up, Tony? What's up, Tony? Uh, where does Greer go when Pelche gets back? Uh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I don't know that he goes anywhere, to be honest. I, I would have a hard... Now, I mean, we're talking about him maintaining this pace of play a couple months. Because that's the timeline for for Jacob Peltier. I I would say that like optimistically, maybe December could be when we're having the conversation about Peltier potentially returning if he heals really really quick. Um, I I think like that that could be optimistic, or that that could be on the kind of more optimistic side, but not completely unrealistic side, just based on a few people that I've spoken to. But that's still a long ways out, even if it's that quick. So, yeah, we're talking still about quite some time. And I always like to preface these things with, well, who else is injured when that happens? And what do you think? How does Sharon Govich look at that time? Is Sharon Govich still the number four center? Or is he playing further up the lineup? How does player Y look? Is Matt Coronado still with the team? I think he will be. But you just, all of these things you don't know. So, if it were right now, this would be a difficult one for me because I don't even know if that's the place for Pelche in the lineup, to be honest. I, I might look somewhere else to take a different guy out and have Pelche somewhere in the top nine, to be honest. The problem is, is that Rizicka has played pretty well to start the year. Greer and Dewar have been strong. Sharon Govich seems like he's found his spot on, on that line as a number four center. Pelche, Greer... And Dewar, none of them are natural centers. No. Um, so like it all of a sudden creates a little bit of a problem. So who the heck do you take out? I 
I don't want to say of of all the names right now that I would take out to bring Paul Pelche back in, it wouldn't be Greer. It would probably be right now. And obviously, we we're, we're projecting weeks and weeks down the road. But right now, if I were to do it, I'd probably take Sharon Govich out. I'd probably have mm. Sharon Govich come out. I'd probably, to your point, put Pelche somewhere in the top nine. I'd move Ruzicka to the number four center spot and then go Ruzicka, Greer, and Dewar and have Pelche somewhere um, up in the top nine and Sharon Govich is a healthy scratch. That would be right now. All of a sudden, if Ruzicka is not as effective playing number four center, well, then that conversation changes again. But that's probably what I would do right now. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't disagree with that. Again, so much is going to change between now and December. But if that's the, the question today, I, yeah, I'm not sure that Greer is the guy that comes out in that spot. Uh, this says, what's the actual plan here with the Flames? Are we just going ahead with this roster? I know it's early, but there isn't one player that's able to change a game all the way down through goaltending and isn't close to looking like it. Well, I, I don't know. Like You're not getting that player at any point this season. A Lindholm trade or a Hannafin trade or another trade isn't bringing you that player either. They do not have a game-changing player. They don't have a guy like McKinnon or McDavid or Bedard or they they don't have those guys. Those and there's lots of other Pasternak would be in that category now. And and there's three or there's Kucherov. Like there's there's I don't know ten or eleven, twelve or fifteen, however many you want to point to that can do that. The Flames don't have that guy right now. They do not have a superstar hockey player on their team and they're not going to get one. So I think the plan is right now, see how this start goes, take another run or two at re-signing a guy like Lindholm, re-signing a guy like Hannafin, see where you are as you move into December and closer to the calendar flipping into 2024 and and then see about making some deals that make sense if, if these guys aren't signed. I think that's what the plan with the roster is. Yeah, I think Backlund getting signed, I think, pushed a lot of people into thinking that the team was going a certain direction. I'm not sure. I think with Lindholm starting the season unsigned and looking at all the other UFAs that this team has and talked about Noah Hannafin a lot, but you got to throw Tanev. You have to throw Zadorov in that mix as well, Pat. And I just sit here and I think, there's still a chance that this is undecided for this group. And to your point, if December comes around and certain players haven't put pen to paper and this team is not in an ideal situation, uh, as far as the standings go, I think there's still a chance for this to go a couple of different directions. I think ideally if you're signing Lindholm back here long-term, the way I look at it is that this team is going to hope that some of the young players that they're integrating into their lineup over the next couple of years, whether that's a Coronado this year, Peltier, uh, Sam Honzik's a guy I look at too, will be able to lift this core up and put them into a contending status. That's, that's how I would say it because I'm with you. There's no, there is no player X that's going to come in here and, and change the tide of a game night in, night out. They just, they don't come up like that. They don't come up in trades. You've yeah. really got to build one. And based on where I think the flames are going to be, uh, it's pretty hard to draft one. Even if you're what, 10 to 20 in the middle of a, a first round, yeah. it, it's, it's hard to do. 
Uh, this says, guys, I know Dan Vladar is playing tonight, but do you uh, think they are potentially shopping him to other teams like Buffalo? I know they have Devin Levi, but he's a young and inexperienced goalie, so I was just wondering if the Flames might be entertaining exhibiting him to that team. Um, Sabres have a lot of space, and the Flames could be able to get something back in return like draft picks or prospects and present players. Um, I don't think it's out of the question that Buffalo could be a team that might be interested in Vladar. The only problem is Vladar isn't that much more proven than Devin Levi. If I'm the Sabres and I believe this is a year that I can take a significant step forward, I'd be looking for a more established goaltender. And I don't know if those really exist. And so does going out and spending assets for a guy who is only slightly more established than the guy that you have right now. I don't know if that's the way to go. I, I, I think that the flames would, would be very open to talking trade with a number of different teams about Vladar, Colorado, Tampa, Buffalo. There's six or seven other teams that you could talk about. I don't think that they should be trading him away for nothing. I don't think that you should be trading him just to make room for Dustin Wolf. I think you want to get a second or a third round pick for Vladar. I don't know if you're getting a whole lot more, but I think you want to get a set. If you can get a second round pick, I think that's probably fair. If it has to be a third, then you're recouping what you gave up to bring him in. I think that that could be passable as well. That's where I am on it anyway. Yeah. I, I think that they are definitely open to showcasing Dan Vladar. Buffalo is an interesting one for me, Pat, because like you mentioned, not even to Devin Levi, is Dan Vladar that experienced? He's not overly that experienced in the other two goaltenders that they currently have on their roster right now either. Comrie, Comrie and, and uh, Uko Pekalukunen are both in the 40-game range played for NHL games. Dan's at 55. That's not much different than what you already have in-house. It's a different goaltender, and okay, maybe a 10-game more sample size, and maybe he's been up in the NHL more consistently the last two years than those guys, but... Yeah, I don't know that Buffalo, again, and they've got two goalies on their, uh, three goalies on their roster right now. I don't know that adding a fourth on an NHL deal makes a lot of sense. For me, Tampa still makes the most sense in this because I don't think Jonas Johansson's working out quite as well as they'd hoped. Uh, to me, Dan Vladar would be a better stopgap until a guy like Vasilevsky's ready to go, and then you've got a strong backup for Vasilevsky going forward instead of doing the one-year rotating veteran they've done right. for so long. But... Yeah, I think a lot of this is going to be just based on how Dan Vladar plays, right? And his value to the Flames in retrospect, or I not even retrospect, in comparison to what other teams value him at if he's playing at a certain level. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say when you've got a guy like Dustin Wolf in the ranks that uh, you are probably always looking at those options at the backup spot. I wonder if, if, if Tampa needed them to eat salary on that. I wonder what more you could pry out of the lightning to be able to eat some of Ladar's salary to make it more cap palatable for Tampa Bay as well. Uh, this says from Ron in Alberta. Uh, no, I couldn't. That one didn't come through properly. So I'm sorry, Ron. That one did not come through properly. Uh, this one from Sean in Calgary. Uh, Kadri, why are we not talking about Kadri and his play or lack of play to start the season? The guy looks like he's just going through the motions. No effort, no emotion in his game. I hope one of those youngsters on Buffalo plows him through the boards, figure of speech. Uh, maybe that'll get him going. I will say, 
the first two games, sorry, the, the last two games specifically have has left me wanting more from Kadri. Closer games, games where the Flames been able to score that one extra goal. Maybe it's a different. I just, I would like to see more from Kadri for sure. And when he's your second highest paid forward, second highest paid player, I think you're expecting more from him than what you've gotten to this point. And it's kind of disappointing because. I really liked what I saw from Kadri during the preseason. And I know the preseason only matters so much, but you know, sometimes you're like, okay, there's a veteran player. He looks like he's got more pep in his step, more jump, all that type of stuff. So I actually came into this season being pretty encouraged by what we might see from Kadri. I haven't really seen that through three games of the regular season. I still fully believe it's there. I still think there's a really damn good player there. I just want to see more of it from Kadri than we've seen through the first three games and the last two specifically. Yeah, I'll admit I haven't been very impressed with number 91 as a whole this season. I think that the Flames need him to make a distinct separation between him and Michael Backlund as this team's second and third line centers. I think the way he's playing now probably leads you to having a number one center in Lindholm and kind of two number three centers with Kadri and Backlund playing at a similar level, and I don't think that lets you execute your depth against other teams nearly as much as you'd want to. The biggest thing that's missing for me, Pat, where's that snarl from Nazem Kadri? Did we not talk about that being one of the biggest things in him coming yeah. in that year when they lost Matthew Kachuk and how much it got guys into the fight and, and brought that sort of competitiveness out in him and in other people around him? I haven't seen much of that since he came to Calgary. I don't know what the reasoning is for it, but I'd love to see a little bit of a, a nastier side to Nazem Kadri, And I'm not talking about the guy that, that took really stupid uh, suspensions in the playoffs and hurt his team right. at different times. Because I think over the last couple of years, he's learned how to use that effectively and to, to use it as a way to make him a better player. I'm waiting for some of that edge from Nazem Kadri. I'd really like to see that. I think that would go a long way uh, to bringing his game back to the level Flames fans want to see it at. Uh, this says, boys, how many points does Huberdeau need to have in order to be worthy of his $10.5 million contract? Um, that's a fair question. And I don't have an answer to it because I don't, <laughs> honestly, I don't know if there will ever be a point where you say, and, and, and this is coming from a guy who has been very positive compared to others about what I've seen from Huberdeau so far to start the season. I don't know if there will ever be a point where you're like, yep, that $10.5 million, it's exactly the contract the Flames should have signed him to. Because I'm not convinced that we ever see him get back to triple digits at the NHL level. I think Huberdeau is far closer to an 85 to 95 point player at, at his good seasons. That's not bad. And I don't think it's a ripoff if you're getting $10.5 million for that. But I mean, a lot of the other uh, double-digit contracts out there are like, you know, the the full-on elite guys who flirt with 100 points and uh, or, or clear number one defenseman, all those types of things. I don't know if ever there will be a feeling that, yep, that's exactly the contract they should have signed him to. I will always look back on that as a contract of necessity based on how things had gone throughout the summer to that point. And the timing wasn't great because the guy was coming off a 115-point season logo. I So I guess the way I would answer that, and I'll throw this to you, I think you just want Jonathan Huberdeau to be 
the player that he's been more often than not in the NHL. And that will, at the very least, make him a good player on this team, an offensive leader on this team. Whether it's worth $10.5 million at any point or not, that, that is up for debate. And I, I don't know if it ever will be. Yeah, unfortunately, I think perception-wise, Pat, the only way that you would get most people to say that 10.5 is worth it is if he hits 115 points or more again. And unfortunately, I don't think that's happening. I think that was an outlier season for, uh, season for him. I think it'll go down as his career best season points wise. Again, to your point, I know I know I think there are other ways for him to maintain value of of ten and a half or close to ten and a half. And again, what that means relative to the cap and how much space he's taking up compared to how much you know the the salary cap as a total. I mean, he could go up five million into next year, and all of a sudden the percentage that he eats up and hurts your cap, down. if you want to say yeah. that changes year by year going forward so yeah i i think given the perception that's around him right now he would have to hit triple digits with that 115 point mark for people to say there's the there's the 10 and a half million dollar guy we signed but i think he can provide value in other ways just being a, a consistent offensive threat for this team i think this team needs that so badly to to get where they want to go and goal scoring and point production all that sort of thing be that above average guy that you've been. I think to to your point, that's that for me is how he's going to get closest to that because I really don't think he's going to get there. Uh, this says Dustin Wolf is 22 years old. I know this guy's done his part to get a shot, but there are only two spots. Goalies traditionally come into this league later than other players, and sometimes you just have to wait for a promotion, not because you haven't earned it, but rather because it just is what it is. Why is everyone pushing so hard to rush this guy when they have two very capable goaltenders he isn't going to come in and be an instant kippersoff let the kid get his feet wet in life before we put savior on his shoulders and i do think there's something to that i also think there's something to when you have time use it and right now the flames have the benefit of time with a waiver exempt player with two goaltenders that they're comfortable with at the nhl level who are older and more experienced I know this would make Wes Gilbertson's head explode if I said it again, <laughs> but they have the luxury of time. Now, there is the balance of not pissing the player off. I fully grant you that. But when you've got time, Logo, I think sometimes you have to be okay using it. And I will credit Craig Conroy throughout his tenure, very early, but throughout his tenure as GM, because I think he's done a very good job of being patient and not rushing things in a number of different areas. I also think there's a world, Pat, where the next step for Dustin Wolf, you know, again, to sort of sway that texture, I don't think the next step for Dustin Wolf is being the savior for this team. I think if the next step for Dustin Wolf is to take on full time NHL competition as an NHL backup. I still think Jacob Markstrom is going to be the guy in Calgary if or when. Dustin Wolf gets his his full-time call to the NHL. So I don't think when he makes his first step in Calgary, we're anointing him as the next Kiprasov or the next Mike Vernon here and asking him to play 50-60 games. I think the next step for Dustin Wolf is to, because I think he's proved everything he can at the American Hockey League level, I think it's to take on full-time NHL competition as a backup and progress from that backup spot like he has at every other level, whether it be junior or pro hockey, 
and then eventually take on that starter's role. I, at least for me, yeah. I'm not putting him in when he comes to the NHL level and saying, the show is yours, kid. You better win it for us. I don't think that's how the Flames are approaching it either. No, I don't think they are. Um, but I also think it is important to use time when you have it and and not back yourself more into a corner than you have to. 100%. Uh, this says, not trying to be funny, not trying to get a laugh. I don't want anyone to have the worst day of their job. But if any of the, no, that's not what it said. Uh, but what's the ceiling for Matt Coronado this season? That is a brilliant, I think you should leave <laughs> reference. Well done. Um, ceiling for Matt Coronado. I think, I think a ceiling, I mean, 25 goals, 25 goals, I don't know, 45 no, points. I am. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the ceiling. That's where I think would be like, that, that's the top notch. And I think it's a realistic-ish ceiling, but that would be kind of where I think it tops out. Yeah, I was kind of in the 40 to 45 point range. Yeah, I'm, I'm 25 goals, 45 20, points-ish. Yeah, 20 goals I think would be a, a hell of a year for Matt Coronado. If he was able to hit the 20 goal mark, I think you're talking about a guy that's... And look, the, the biggest thing for me isn't even, Pat, that he doesn't have the skill to get there. The guy's in his first NHL season coming off of uh, a Harvard NCAA schedule where he played 34 games in his entire year last year with Harvard. 82 is going to be hard for him to maintain mm -hmm. as best as the Flames are going to work it. And that's not even 82 comparing all of the Young Stars Classic, all the preseason action that he had. This is going to be a challenging year for Matt Coronado conditioning-wise and physically to play at his best every single night. That's why I sort of cap it there. I don't think it's a talent thing. I think eventually his career can continue to go up past that. But I just think it's so hard to go from that NCAA schedule playing Friday and Saturday nights to doing what he's doing now as an NHLer. A few more. We'll try to go through as much as we can rapid fire here before we wrap up the mailbag. Great stuff. Always appreciated. We'll do these once every, uh, once every couple of weeks. So if you don't get yours read today, uh, there's always next time. Appreciate it. If we didn't read it, apologies. If we do, thank you. And uh, regardless, thank you. Great stuff as always. This is from Parsons. Should the Flames kick tires on Patrick Kane, trade Hannafin for cap space, etc.? They can kick tires all they want. I just... I. I it's pretty clear that Patrick Kane wants to go to a team that he thinks will win a Stanley Cup and or is south of the border. He wants to play in the States. Eastern New York, it sure feels like, too. That also, or Western New York. Yeah. Rangers, Sabres. Um, Rangers are Eastern, South Red Wings, New York. apparently. I can see it. Up and coming. He likes team. to bring it. The Brinkett's killing it this and, year. And wants so. to play with the. That's what Frank told us earlier this week. Wants to play with the Brinkett again. Yeah. Northeastern United States, south of the border team that he feels is a contender. I don't even know that it fits what the Flames are doing right now, to be honest. And I don't either. Like, I I loved I loved the idea of big-name players coming to the Flames. Do I think that they should kick tires on Patrick Kane? They can do it. I just don't think it will. Um, it would be kind of... I wouldn't be making any moves to be signing Patrick Kane because I don't think he's coming here would be my... In fact, I'm quite confident mm. um, he would not be coming here. So... Um, any others that we can get to, um, that we can, uh, that aren't going to take too long and that we have enough time in um, your eyes, how much time and money is too much for Elias Lindholm? I'd cap it at nine. I wouldn't go any higher than that. I really wouldn't. Yeah. I think unfortunately it's going to take eight. I don't know that I'm comfortable at eight, eight years or eight million, eight years. Yeah. yeah I, I'd cap it at 9 million for eight years is what I would, um, 
is where I would see my it. numbers eight and a half as far as money goes, and then I sit there and I go, oh, "What's it, another five hundred k?" Right? Yeah. So eight years, which I think is going to be the minimum to get them, eight and a half, nine million. That's as far as I'd go. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably cap it at the eight years and nine million. And honestly, I think that is beyond fair and and. You know, maybe even a little overpay on a guy like Lindholm, especially seeing what guys like Shifley and Horvat and and Dubois have all gotten. I don't know if Lindholm is so much better that you've got to go another $4 million over the course of a eight-year contract to get it done. So, um, yeah. The uh, Flames Talk mailbag back for the first time this regular season. Great stuff. At 960-960, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll do it again very, very soon, probably in a couple of weeks. Always like to do it, get the text line engaged, get you engaged, and uh, appreciate you being a part of it. Hey, whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of great deals, our friends at 403 Local, they're the place to be. Every time the local hockey heroes hit the ice, you can get two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks. On Sundays, you can watch the football game with 50 Cent Wings and Happy Hour all day with wings. Also on Wednesdays, on Monday, dry ribs are just $5 a pound. They also have Happy Hour daily from 3 to 6 and lunch specials weekdays from 11.30 to 2.30. Plus, 403 Local, available for private functions. Visit 403 Local in Canyon Meadows and at 403local.com. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time to go inside hockey on this Thursday for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics, and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. And we are going inside hockey with our buddy Jonathan Davis from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. Uh, he is our Pacific Division insider, but is um, currently making his way outside of the Pacific Division boundaries. Where do we uh, where do we find you in transit, JD? Yeah, Pat just landed uh, on a wonderful flight from LA to Chicago, and uh, I was on a flight with people who didn't understand that when you were on the tarmac, you're not supposed to get up to go to the bathroom. So three and a half hours became four hours. Okay. That doesn't sound so fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you are in Chicago uh, and you have made it safe. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's dive right in because there's uh, there's lots to talk about from this Pacific Division over the last week and since we last spoke. And you know, we had been hyping up for a couple of uh, couple of weeks the return of Pierre Luc Dubois as a member of the LA Kings to Winnipeg, and now it is over and done with. He got it out of the way very early. What uh, what did we make of uh, PLD's return to his old stomping grounds? Well, I mean, it was a yeah, it was a fitting comeback for him, and and it was a night you know for for Winnipeg that you know they just kind of laid an egg and really disappointing uh, from their standpoint, Pat. I mean, it was an empty building. It was like four thousand unsold seats that night, but yeah, for Dubois who struggled, yeah, it, it is. It's a big concern, especially with Dubois and, and well, so. Well, let's not belabor the Jets. I mean, I think, you know, look, for Dubois, it was first two games of the season were a slow start. I mean, he was a minus player, really hadn't made much of an impact. But, hey, you know, uh, that was just, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the way the, the game that, that gets him going because he needed something like that. And, you know, uh, right place, right time. And for L.A., I thought, you know, it was a very solid game for them. Probably, you know, probably the best game of the three that they have played. 
so we'll see where it goes. They head into Minnesota tonight, and you know, and for Kevin Fiala, it's another crack at his former team. Um, I want to uh, I want to go to Vegas, who are absolutely rolling right now. Don't They're, we all? Don't we uh, always want to go to Vegas? Yeah, there's there's never a bad time to go to Vegas. <laughs> um, and the defending Stanley Cup champions just keep on winning hockey games, four for four to start the regular season, including their most recent a comeback win, uh, and uh, eventually an extra time win over the Dallas Stars. These guys, they they look like the defending Cup champs, don't they? They sure do, Pat. And, 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 you know, and you look at the game that night and, you know, you're out, you're no White Cloud, no Martinez, no Petro. So what? Uh, you know, they did a great job of shutting down Dallas and, you know, giving up just two goals that night. Yeah, they, they haven't missed a beat. I mean, I, I thought they were kind of ripe for the picking that night, you know, after coming off three softer opponents, uh, you know, heading into that game, you know, come off the games against, what, Seattle, uh, Anaheim and San Jose, um, and uh, yeah, they, they look solid again, and they're going to get Alec Martinez back tonight um, for, for their game. So, yeah, it, it's been it's been very impressive. I mean, you know what they've given up just five goals in in the four games, and uh, yeah, I, I full full marks to this Golden Knights team. And Pat, you know, I know we, you know we've heard a lot of destinations about Patrick Kane. I I, I think that's something for me that I'm, I'm paying attention to. I just, you know, if, if Patrick Kane's looking to go for, go to a team that can win a cup, and I think he could fit into that roster without really pushing someone down, you know, that you know that really shouldn't be pushed down necessarily. Well, and he would, you know, it's funny. Earlier this hour, somebody asked about Kane and the Flames. I said, well, no, he's south of the border. I, I don't think uh, a Canadian team is is really in the um, offing for Patrick Kane, but. You know that that would be the exact type of player that they would be looking for—a guy who can make an impact, but a guy that doesn't sound like Patrick is is looking for a big payday with wherever he goes. And you know, with Vegas's cap issues, they wouldn't be able to do that. That would be the perfect type of acquisition they're looking for. Yeah, you know, I think what Dallas is a fit, Colorado's a fit. There are a lot of teams that are fit. I, I just I could see it working in Vegas because I don't think you're really going to disrupt the roster if, if that's, you know, yeah. in Vegas with Patrick Kane being added. We're uh, chatting with Jonathan Davis. He's our Pacific Division insider. He joins us uh, once a week from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. This week joining us on a Thursday inside hockey. Well, there were uh, definitely some, I don't, I don't know if hair was completely on fire, but maybe uh, people were starting to think about it in Edmonton after a 0-2 start and both losses against Vancouver. They roll into Nashville, and uh, they're able to turn things around pretty quickly. And, and I don't know if we're all that surprised that they picked up their first win of the season. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, not surprised. And, and you know, look, that, that's a, a place where the Edmonton Oilers and both Connor and Leon have had a great deal of success over the years. And, and I mean, we saw, what, you, know, our, you know, a candidate for goal of the year that night yeah. And, uh, you know, I think just as important as what Connor and Leon did, you know, Jack Campbell, uh, you know, what, what he did that night was important. And going forward, I mean, these goalies need to really feel good about themselves, whether it's Jack Campbell or Stuart Skinner. Yeah. And uh, look, I mean, that's going to be a story as the year goes along. But 
Um, not uh, not having things go any further off the rails early on was important to him. And then Vancouver, Rick Tockett was not a fan of Vancouver's most recent game. After they start two for two and wins over Edmonton, they get humbled themselves a little bit in a loss to Philadelphia. So not uh, not everything perfect in Vancouver either. No, and I and I kind of wonder, you know, that that's got to be kind of like you know the, the classic letdown after two wins against the Oilers, and then you're going in, you're playing. You know, a non-conference team, a team that that's you know that you should beat, and they just didn't. And so, I wouldn't get too concerned from a Vancouver standpoint. And, and you know, look, they're still trying to figure a lot of things out. But uh, yeah, really, for Vancouver, at the end of the day, I, the, the thing that's the positive I will take is they gave up just two goals that night. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, there that's something you know I, for me that I'm monitoring with that blue line. Uh, the way it is, I mean, you know, it's Quinn Hughes and and, and the crew. Uh, so I think that that's the positive. So now you you know now you're looking at Vancouver and it's okay. How are we going to bounce back tonight? They get Tampa, and that's got to be a very grumpy Tampa Bay Lightning team that they're going to face, and a Lightning team Pat that's given them fits over the years and has put up a lot of goals. So I am interested to see how how they respond in this one tonight, but. Uh, yeah, that this this will be interesting. And Tampa gets Stephen Stamkos back. Yeah. Uh, oh, by, oh, by the way. Yeah, good, good timing. Um, what uh, staying in that neck of the woods? Not the greatest start for the Seattle Kraken. A lot of eyes on them after what they did last year. But the Kraken start with uh, a rough start, and they're having a lot of difficulty putting the puck in the net right now. Yeah, they are, and I don't know. Did did you watch the game against Colorado? I watched it. I watched about uh, a period and a half of it. I mean, I thought they deserved a better fate. I thought they actually, I thought they played a a, a better, you know, a better game. I thought they, at times, were the better team that night. And Colorado's talent ended up taking over, and and Gorgiev played really well that night. Um, you know, that Ray Ferraro made an interesting point. You know, you, you take away, you know, the the you know some of those bottom six guys that they had last year and, you know, and Jeff Merrick's favorite player, Daniel Sprong and the 20 yeah. goals that he scored. And, you know, I mean, they're, you know, that was a team that won through 12. We've talked about it before, you know, every forward played at least 10 minutes. And so they're not, you know, when, when you're, when your stars are struggling, you know, you need some of your bottom guys to help out and they haven't had that yet. I mean, they haven't had anybody help out yet. It's, it's been absolutely abysmal. What are we at now? What, uh, three goals in four games for Seattle. So, you know, they're not, they're not giving up a ton, but yeah, the concerns that, and the people were suggesting about the offense and the drop off right now we're seeing, I mean, you know, even at the end of the game, you know, they had, I think it was, I can't remember who was had a chance to bury one. uh, And Gorgia was totally out of position. It was was Belmar that night. Uh, Gorgia was totally out of position and, and it should have been an easy goal for Seattle. And Gorgiev just had the puck hit his pad uh, at the last second, and and that's kind of what we're seeing in some some ways with Seattle. Uh, it's not a matter of puck luck; it's just that shots that were going in mm-hmm. and shots that should go in just aren't going in right now for Seattle. Well, on that, and you mentioned it, that was one of the big worries about them in this kind of um, in this follow up season to their great second year was. Will they be able to score the same way? Will there be enough there offensively? It was one of the worries going in, and it's one of the things that we're seeing in the early goings through their first uh, four games of the year. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we talked about before, the number one team five-on-five five last year in the NHL, 
and and it has been a struggle. And and, and the thing is, you know, you're you're zero and four to start the year, and yeah, it's still early, but you don't you don't want to be chasing this early. Yeah, and and that's the concern. Um, last question for you, JD, and then we'll let you go. Um, and and it just it, it popped into my head. It wasn't one of the ones that you had suggested earlier in the day. It just popped into my head when yeah. you were talking about Winnipeg and and their empty seats. And and one of the teams that has really run into empty seats in the last number of years in this in this division is San Jose. And we know the Sharks are going through a significant rebuild with a new general manager and Mike Greer. Um, I I I just wonder how concerned you are with the. Um, the amount of empty seats that we're seeing on a really regular basis with the Sharks now. Yeah, I mean, it's, Pat, it, it's a concern because it's a fan base that really loves their hockey. I mean, you go to a Sharks game, it can, it, it's, a, it's a fun building to yeah. go to. It's a, it's a good atmosphere. But, you know, look, this is a team that, you know, you need names to, to bring people into the building. And I think, you know, that's the big struggle. And, you know, look, Logan Couture is out, so that doesn't help. And so, you know, you're and you trade away Eric Carlson and you trade away Timo Meyer. Uh, so it's who is going to bring people into the building when you've got a team that everybody knows is not trying to win, so to speak, right now. So yeah, it is a concern. You know, if you get performances like you did from Mackenzie Blackwood against Colorado, maybe that'll you know that's a way to to get some people in. You know, they gave Carolina a good fight for almost two periods of hockey uh, a couple of nights ago, and then the wheels fell off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you need names. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's always a big concern for me is that you just, you know, you need names to bring people into the building. And that's the, you know, that's the concern that, you know, sometimes the teams have when they're, trying, when they're trading away a star player. You know, it's, yeah, yeah we may need to, you know, we need to move that player let's remember, if we do move that player, yep. who are fans coming to watch? Yep. Good stuff, man. Now, in Anaheim tonight. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Wait, Leo Carlson makes his debut for the Ducks tonight in Anaheim. Which is good because the, um, the, the initial thought and the initial fear in the very immediacy after that injury he sustained in the preseason was not, uh, was not good. So I'm glad that it wasn't anywhere near as major as you know, perhaps it was feared early on. So that is good to see, and um, that is a guy that'll put. And and they've got some players in Anaheim that all of a sudden with Zegris and Carlson, and and there's players that people at least want to come to see, even if the team isn't really ready to compete at a high level. Um, good stuff, yeah, JD. Carlson, by the, by the way, Carlson with Terry and Zegris tonight. Not a, not a bad way to. That's a good way. That's good NHL. way to start your NHL career. With the, the two best forwards yeah. on the team. Not bad at all. Uh, okay, all right, well, fly, uh, drive safe uh, to Wisconsin, hey, and uh, enjoy your yeah. time with family over there. I appreciate it, Pat. Have a great week. We'll chat next week. Will do. Absolutely. Jonathan Davis is our Pacific Division insider, and uh, he joins us from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. Joins us once a week to spin around the Pacific Division, and he joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store as we start to wrap up this hour. Uh, Be interesting to see how the attendance situation plays itself out in San Jose, in Anaheim, and in Winnipeg is maybe the one that's maybe just because of where we are and, and being a Canadian market and all that type of stuff to see. Less than 12,000 announced fans in Winnipeg is 
very concerning. So that's something to keep For an eye on as game. well. For a game. Pierre-Luc Dubois' return. Can you imagine, like, that would be like Johnny Gaudreau or Matthew Kachuk's return. People were frothing at the mouth in this city to boo Johnny Gaudreau when he came back last year. And good on you. That's what that's what sports is about. Like, I want to be there to boo the crap out of Johnny Gaudreau. Like, what does the Tuesday against Columbus look like if that's the number there right now? I thought that would have been an easy close to sell out. Yep. Just they only got 13-something in their home opener. I know. And I know that Calgary was only at about 17-something for the home opener, and, and it wasn't a sellout here in this market either. I'm not saying it's a Winnipeg-only problem. It just seems even more pronounced in Winnipeg, and the drop has been even more dramatic. I mean, Calgary's had, the in, in this market, for a number of different reasons, it's been tough to get to capacity since COVID. Um, they've only had a handful of sellouts since COVID, uh, and I think Calgary's economy... Um, is a big part to play in it, and and I it's good to see that that is starting to pick back up and get right back on the right track, which is really good. Um, and I don't think having the oldest building in the NHL is helping their cause anymore either. Um, I don't think it ever helped the cause. I just think it might be hurting the cause a little bit more. Anyway, that's how we'll start to wrap things up this hour. Uh, he's Logan Gordon on Twitter at Fan960Logan. My name is Pat Steinberg. Thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe, now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.